0: Questions? Yeah, I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe?
1: Hey Cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. We're three old friends... Oh, Whoa. wow, I just... That yeah. was,
2: you just went,
1: I mean, just into it. Yeah, I'm like, I no mean, small talk, I know, guys, that's fine, okay? go ahead, just <laughs> go, I mean, you're there, <laughs> yep. We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. And I'm Adam. <laughs> hey, guys. I mean, it, it's like, I'm it's, ready for this. It's like you were reading from a page or
2: something. <laughs> I don't know. What? I don't want the audience to know that some parts of our show are scripted.
1: I mean, <laughs> everybody's beginning of they'll their episode know. is scripted, oh, you yeah, They'll right? never know that... We need the same spiel every time. Come on. Lord. Yeah.
0: Because well, well, we've memorized it, Marcy. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, good morning slash afternoon slash evening class. Thank you for joining us once again for Back to School September. <laughs>
3: oh, boop, man.
1: Boop. This week, we're talking about a man that revolutionized the teen comedy genre connecting with an entire generation of high schoolers in a way no filmmaker had ever done before or since. In the 1980s, up-and-coming filmmakers weren't jumping at the chance to make teen comedies. Along came John Hughes, a man that saw the current youth films as a means of entertaining adults much more than children. This was a man that never forgot what it was like to be a kid, to be treated as if your opinions are invalid, He remembered the complex social structure of high school and what it meant to be an outsider. Hughes applied all of this to his films, becoming one of the most successful filmmakers in Hollywood. Of course, Hughes wouldn't focus solely on the teen comedy, but it was this part of his career for which he would be most remembered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that.
2: Mm -hmm. I would say when someone says, oh, a John Hughes movie, it'd be weird Mm -hmm. if they were like, oh yeah, you know, flubber. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. yeah 101 Dalmatians yeah, that would be, that'd be weird for someone <laughs> oh, to my say God. what's Very the first weird. John Hughes movie that comes to mind
1: <laughs> <Flubber>. <laughs> John Hughes is known as the king of the coming of age comedy even still today you will find teenagers watching his films no matter how dated the movies become there still exists a sense of timelessness to these films about teen life
2: yeah mm-hmm. I think he tried really hard for timelessness too yeah he very specifically didn't put slang current 80s slang in his movies yeah you know in Home Alone when he says Kevin you're a disease I mean (laughs) yeah that's very funny (laughs) yes it it wasn't modern slang but it's something that a brother could totally say absolutely you Mm -hmm. know it's very funny you're a disease (laughs) I wouldn't let
1: you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass (laughs) Hughes was an autobiographical writer, imbuing his own life experiences into every story brought to the screen. Because of this, each one of his films was deeply human in a way that audiences everywhere could understand. So, come learn with us as we explore the life of this man that brought us so many wonderful movie memories. Yay! (laughs) Yeah. Class is in session. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's right. right.
2: So as with our regular biography junk that we do sometimes, (laughs) we're going to talk about his family life first. Yeah. So John Hughes was born on February 18th, 1950 in Lansing, Michigan. He was the second oldest child and the only son. His father was a salesman and would sometimes struggle to support the family. The Hughes family often found themselves to be a lower class family among wealthy suburban communities. As a result class issues would one day be prominent plot points in his films. The Hughes family moved around often throughout John's childhood, but stayed most prominently in Gross Point, a suburb of Detroit. Hughes was a constant observer of his suburban life. He would carry around a notebook and fill it with notes on the people he met, places he saw, and jokes that popped into his mind. He was rarely found without a notebook on his person, and he would use his childhood experiences to help him craft some of his most iconic stories. When John was 13, the family moved to Northbrook, a suburb of Chicago. This, and Gross Point, would become the basis for Shermer, Illinois, the fictional town in which many of his films were based. John Hughes's films had their own universe, with characters that John had imagined but never even put in his films. He knew who lived where, who were friends, and who were related.
0: That is... Really cool. Yeah. It I is. didn't know that. I've yeah. seen a few of these movies, but I never really realized, you know, that they're all
2: kind of in, they're all kind in, of in the, the same, same place. That's pretty yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So imagine Kevin McAllister could be related to Ducky from Pretty and Pink. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? You know, who knows? <laughs> is no Molly idea.
1: Ringwald related to Molly Ringwald, though? Ooh. You know,
0: probably.
3: Yes.
0: <laughs> they're they're long lost twins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: In the
2: beginning of the Breakfast Club, one character recites the zip code six zero zero six two. This is the actual zip code for Northbrook, Illinois. However, as explained in Kurt Honeycutt's book John Hughes: Life and Film, the town was originally known as Shermerville, and one of its most prominent roads is named Shermer Road. So that that's, is so cool. Yeah, so that's kind of it's almost like a code. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Producers began to notice after working with John that most of the homes in his films had the same layout. Michelle Manning, who produced 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club, has said that they were very similar to the home Hughes lived in as a teen.
0: Man, oh man. Yeah. It's just, you put yeah. all these movies together and you know, you just put them on layers and they line up all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, <laughs> what yeah. does it mean? It's
2: like a mapping of his yeah. life. Yeah. And there was a funny quote in the book where one of the one of the production people had set up another production, another production, and finally he said, You know, John, can we just keep up the set from the last film?
0: (laughs) I mean (laughs) Yeah, they're all
2: kind of starting to look the same. (laughs) mm
0: Wow. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Do it.
2: Hughes was an unpopular teenager who was considered a problem student and reportedly had a rocky relationship with his parents. He found escape in film and solace in music. When he got into making movies, he was determined to get the music right. Music was a big part of his writing process as he often blasted British rock music while crafting his stories. <laughs> All
3: right. so cool.
2: He was a big fan of British music and a lot of it had to do with the fact that when he was in high school, he didn't have a lot of friends, but he had one friend who had connections ah. to Britain Nice. And so he was giving him songs that weren't available in the mm, U.S. That
0: is cool, man. <laughs> Do you think he was a fan of the Beatles?
2: Possibly, oh, very yeah, possible. It seemed very alt rock stuff.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I know he considered the Beatles for in Ferris Bueller, but yeah. Yeah. the Beatles are
0: too mainstream for no, him. Yeah, well. no.
2: mm. Tarquin Gotch a frequent music supervisor for Hughes' films, referred to him as a modern Frank Capra. Hughes' films examined American life, and he wanted the actors to feel involved in the process. A very specific section of American life.
3: hmm Right.
1: Yeah. I mean... Write yeah. what you know. It was his That's
2: life. what, yeah. <laughs> on screen. Yeah. After high school, John Hughes attended the University of Arizona, but dropped out before graduating.
3: Oof.
1: I mean, I think a lot of famous people yeah, dropped out right. of school, really. We didn't finish it. Yeah.
2: He moved back home and married the love of his life, a woman named Nancy that he had met while in high school. He was only 20 years old at the time, and the couple ended up living in his parents' basement until Hughes began a career in advertising. <laughs> oh, my goodness. you imagine? Adam, oh you just got gosh. married. I you see. imagine I'm, marrying Ariel and then moving into your parents' basement where um, you used to live? Yeah.
0: Absolutely not.
2: <laughs> that was Adam's bedroom when he was a kid with yeah.
1: the basement.
0: Yes, yep. that would have been an interesting time <laughs> to be married and be like, "Well,
1: yeah." I mean, welcome some home have done to the
0: single bed. Oh. My bionicles everywhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but there's a pool table. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, That's
2: uh, true. So, so, not all bad.
0: So f- fancy. Yeah, yeah. We'll just put a mattress on that.
2: Uh, there you go. <laughs> Eventually, he would become the creative director at the Leo Burnett Company, but he never lost his ambition to become a writer. John started ghostwriting for a comic strip called The Berries. He started submitting jokes to comedians like Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers. He also became a freelance writer for Playboy magazine. On business trips to New York, Hughes would visit the offices of the National Lampoon for assignments.
0: Man, oh man. So he was doing it, man. All he really. The yeah. Place.
2: yeah. The National Lampoon seemed to be the perfect place for a young comedic writer. They allowed their contributors to have their own unique voices, and although the magazine was raunchy and hip, it relied on nostalgia to connect with its audience. Which is something that John Hughes would do. Oh yes. yeah, yeah.
0: Everyone loves nostalgia. <laughs> everybody,
2: it's always been a drug. Always. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's not just this generation. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone's always liked nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. John became a contributing editor until he was offered a full time job. John accepted, but kept his other job in advertising. Oh. Mm. This meant he had to work nonstop, even sometimes catching flights to New York during the work week.
0: Ugh. Ugh. So. Oof. Screw that.
2: Yeah. So I didn't make this clear. He did not tell the other jobs yeah. that he had another full time job. Ah. So he had two full time jobs. <sighs> Yikes. And the Lampoon, they let him, he said, well, how about I just stay here in Chicago and I'll only come to New York for meetings? And they were Uh, like, okay. And they even mentioned, they said, we didn't know if he quit his other job. We didn't ask, whatever. Yeah. But the other job absolutely did not know about his job Ah. with the National Lampoon. And he would work on stories on the weekends, constantly writing, Mm -hmm. and then he would work through the week. He would hide his manuscripts when he left the office. And then when he did have meetings to go to in New York, he would come into work in Chicago. Yeah. And he would put his jacket on his chair and put a coffee there to make it look <gasps> like he was there, he was but like there. maybe in the bathroom. Oh. And uh, then he straight
1: up flew, flew? to
2: New York for oh meetings. Oh, my
1: gosh. Dude, what? Yeah. That, that also takes some balls. And to then do he that. came back not, and he oh threw the gosh. coffee in the trash. Yeah. Are you wow.
0: kidding me? <laughs> That's incredible.
1: <laughs> it, yeah. I'm impressed.
0: Dude, um,
1: I gotta try that shit.
0: <laughs> I gotta put my coat on my, the back of my chair. And
2: the coffee and just leave. Holy sleep. shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that blows my mind.
2: John kept up both careers until the famed blizzard of 1978 grounded him in his Chicago area home with his wife and son. This is hilarious because we... We grew up in the 90s, Mm -hmm. and every year we hear about the blizzard. Every time. It is so... It is never forgotten. (sighs) No. There
0: there hasn't been this much snow (laughs) since.
1: Okay. I just also have to mention, though, that (laughs) not only did he have these two jobs, he had a wife and a kid. Like, (laughs) what? Like, I mean, sure, if you're a college kid or, like, just out of college, don't have any other responsibilities, and you're like, I'm going to work two full-time jobs... Great, but like, damn. Yes. Uh,
2: what, his child was three and oh his wife gosh. was pregnant with oh their second gosh. kid.
0: Madness. Yeah.
2: Insanity. <laughs> oh. Insanity. Yeah. <laughs> did,
0: did he sleep or? What?
2: No. Probably I, not. I don't think he did. I, don't, I yeah. don't know how. John spent those days writing and reflecting on his career. He had seen his fellow writers in advertising become frustrated with their work, losing track of what they wanted to be. When John later spoke of this time, he said, What if I'm 65 and retire with all my stock, my profit sharing, my money, and I'm sitting on the porch thinking I should have been a writer? I wonder if I could have done it. So, Hughes quit his job in advertising and took a big pay cut to work at the National Lampoon. He said that the pay at the National Mm -hmm. Lampoon was smaller than the bonus that he got at the other job. Oh Oh,
1: my (laughs) God. God, big oops. Yeah. Maximum. He can, yeah.
2: <laughs> he continued to write parodies, including issues about family holidays and vacations, stories that would eventually make it to the big screen. Ooh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Now, let's kind of jump into some of those movies, shall we? Yay. Woo. This is going to be a little earlier stuff, though. Because you know, we'll get to the juicy stuff that you want us to talk yeah. about. Just yeah, just give it a minute. Just, just don't, don't, no, no, purely <laughs> no, yeah, no. stuff. Don't push yeah. the pause. Don't click X. <laughs> yeah. Just
1: keep going. This, this is important. You know, this is how we <laughs> gotta <his> start. <laughs> you
2: probably already lost him. <laughs> oh,
0: oh. Over the course of his career, John Hughes wrote thirty-seven films, produced twenty-three, and directed eight.
2: It's a lot. Wow. It's
0: quite, quite, quite a lot. The first film project he worked on was a Jaws parody called Jaws 3, People Zero.
2: (laughs) I saw the poster for that, and I laughed really hard. That is very
0: funny. (laughs) The project was eventually pulled by a Universal Studios executive. Boo. Mm -hmm. Hughes then worked on a screenplay for National Lampoon's Joy of Sex, but its star, John Belushi, passed away suddenly just days before filming was set to begin. I bet you it. What a, what a crazy movie that would have been, huh? Mm-hmm. Hughes' script was thrown out, and the film was made by another studio. After that, there was Delta House, a TV spin off of Animal House, but it only lasted one season.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: A- Animal House is very funny. Yeah. So I would have loved to have seen
2: it. It <laughs> sounded like it was fine. Yeah. It just didn't really find an audience. Huh. Yeah. It uh, had Mis- Michelle Pfeiffer in it. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was her first, like, role. Sweet.
0: Yeah. After attending a high school reunion, John Hughes penned a script that would become his first screen credit. It was a horror slash sex comedy called National Lampoons Class Reunion. <laughs> I love what? that it's I love that it's horror. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> because absolutely it is. <laughs> the film holds a lot of the notes and character archetypes that would become familiar in his later films, but ultimately it was a box office failure.
2: So it's a class reunion, yeah. and one of the classmates wants to enact revenge for a prank when they were in uh-huh. school, mm. and he just starts killing people. Oh. Yeah.
0: That's not a prank, <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: John continued to write and struck up a friendship with a young producer named Lauren Schuler, who would one day be Lauren Schuler Donner as she married Richard Donner.
2: Yeah. Oh, cool.
0: Which is is pretty cute. Yeah, she
2: was married to him until his death.
0: Uh, Lauren had called John to pitch a story, and their friendship led him to presenting her with the pages of an unfinished screenplay based on his days as a house husband when his wife went out of town. Yeah. That sounds like fun.
2: (laughs) He told her that when his wife went away, he had no idea what to do because... (laughs) He'd never gone grocery shopping. Mm. He you know, had not taken care of babies on his own, mm-hmm. cleaned the house, used appliances. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, he was flying off <laughs> places yeah. before.
2: Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Lauren loved the pages and wanted to make the film. Learning from his earlier experiences in film, John decided to complete the script before bringing it to a studio. He realized that if someone paid him before the script was done, he had less creative freedom. This was how he preferred to work for the rest of his career. Smart. That is smart. hmm This film would become Mr. Mom, a fairly successful comedy starring Michael Keaton. However, John Hughes was fired as a screenwriter during the production process, and two uncredited writers polished the screenplay.
3: Ugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: The film was not what John Hughes and Lauren Schuler Donner wanted to make, and the experience might have planted the seeds for John Hughes's famous distaste for Hollywood in the years to come.
2: yeah, uh, yeah, so Aaron Spelling, famous producer, was making the movie with them, mm, and yeah. when lauren was he didn't like the fact that John Hughes was Not there, and he was kind of faxing in rewrites Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And when Lauren was out, she was scouting locations for another movie. Aaron Spelling fired John Hughes while she wasn't around, and uh, that
1: is BS, yeah. Mm -hmm. While writing for the National Lampoon, John Hughes published a story called Vacation 58 based on his childhood family vacations. It followed the Griswold family and their ill fated trip. From Gross Point, Michigan to Walt Disneyland in California.
0: Oof, what a trip. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh, yeah. He
2: said he picked the farthest location in the continental United States nice. that they could <sighs> possibly go to.
1: Marty Simmons, the owner of the Lampoon, eventually shared the story with an executive from Warner Brothers. And soon the project was underway with John Hughes as the screenwriter. Because the studio wanted to draw in Saturday Night Live fans, they cast Caddyshack star. Chevy Chase is the lead. Harold Ramis signed on to direct, and John adapted his screenplay to match Chase's comedic delivery. The story stayed generally the same, but Hughes built on his younger characters, giving them more personality. The original ending didn't do well with audiences, and Hughes was forced to do a rewrite, where the family actually did arrive at their destination, Wally World. Wow.
0: I didn't know that there was a different ending.
1: Yeah, the original story
2: ends when the dad shoots Walt Disney in the leg. <laughs> because in the original story, they're oh. going to Disney Disneyland. Yeah, mm-hmm. Disney's still alive. It's mm-hmm. the 50s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets angry because the, the vacation goes awry, and they get there, and, and you know. Wow. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how the original story ends. And so in the original screenplay, they go, and they're just stalking, I think just the owner of the theme park in his house, ah. and they and they capture him and they make him perform for them to entertain them or something.
0: Yikes! And
2: uh, they change this ending, so it's it's a little different in the movie. The actually the ending of this movie is my favorite part. Of this I movie. agree.
0: You know, yeah, I agree. You know, I, you know, I'm glad that good change. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. good you know, productive change. Yeah, because that ending doesn't sound.
2: It sounds a little bit like the Christmas Vacation movie When when they do kidnap somebody Ah, It seems very similar to that Yeah.
1: Because of the rewrite, comedian John Candy was added to the cast Playing a hilarious guard at the vacant park Candy would become synonymous with John Hughes in later years And the two were very close friends The new ending did well, and Vacation was a hit
2: Yeah, so in real life, apparently, Mm -hmm. when he was a kid, John Hughes went on vacation with his family a lot, Mm -hmm. and uh, he had only sisters, and they had brought their friends, and so all the girls sat in the seats, and he was forced to sit in the way, way back with picnic (sighs) baskets.
1: Nice. And he would
2: throw tantrums, and his mother, uh, at one point, said, John, would you like to leave? And he said, as a matter of fact, mother, I would. And she pulled over. Wow. And to call her bluff, he got out of the car. And to call his bluff, she drove away. And she actually left him there for several minutes. Nice. And he said he just got really... He started to really notice all the sounds around him, the animal noises. Mm-hmm. The he started to get a little nervous. Was this just like
0: <laughs> on the highway?
2: I don't know wasn't where it like, was. Yes. I don't know if it was just like a road.
1: I mean, if she had to come back, I feel like it probably wasn't a highway. because yeah. that would be a lot true, harder true. to yeah. get back.
0: I guess. To. I, I guess I mean just like a road through what sounds like just trees. Yeah. If there's, mm-hmm. if he's hearing animal noise, like they didn't yeah. stop at a. a yeah, a rest stop, yeah. yeah, yeah it
1: must have know. been just the side of the road. Yeah. At least that's what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah,
2: Cuz then, you know, and then when she did pull up a few minutes later, he said, "Oh, mother, you've returned." She said, "Would you like me to to leave again?" And he said, "No, no, no." <laughs> oh. Like I'm good. <laughs> and so they said that was part probably partially his inspiration for Home Alone as well.
0: That's great. You can't. <laughs> yeah. But it also teaches you, you, can't beat mom in those situations. She would have driven away again
1: <laughs> and, yep. and,
0: and stayed away a little bit longer. Yeah, uh, yep, a little bit time. longer
1: every time. <laughs> now that Hughes had two major successes under his belt, it wasn't hard for him to find screenwriting jobs. He quit his job at the Lampoon and was on his way to directing his first feature film.
2: I wonder what it is. <gasps> <laughs>
3: about
2: to find out. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about some of his most influential projects. Yay. And and also guys, we're not going to have a chance to talk about all of them. Right. And if you want, you can let us know which ones we you really like that we missed. Tell us yeah. which ones you would like us to talk about. And if there's one you want us to do a full episode on.
0: I would love to hear what people's thoughts are on these movies. Yeah. Like, seriously, yeah. email us, mm-hmm. uh, tweet at us, whatever.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be cool. John Hughes was a rare man in his field. He was a Midwestern conservative working amongst Hollywood liberals. He held a disdain for authority, something he picked up from his youth, and a distrust of Hollywood bigwigs. Instead of filming in Los Angeles like many other filmmakers, John liked to film in Chicago, away from the big studios. He hated studio notes and wanted freedom. A few of his films were filmed in the New Trier Township High School, an abandoned school. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Uncle Buck, and Home Alone were all shot there. Filming in the Midwest also meant taking young actors away from their friends and the partying scene in California.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The Midwest is just so much more authentic. It's more boring. (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) But most of all, John Hughes was an autobiographical filmmaker. His stories took place in the Midwest because that's where he was from, and so that's where they would be filmed. I mean, yeah. liter- I mean, really, it was his life mm-hmm. that he was putting on screen. So, let's talk about some of John Hughes' most influential films. Sixteen Candles, 1984. In the early 1980s, one of Hollywood's biggest agents was circulating a script for a teen comedy. Many studios were interested, but the major hang-up was that the screenwriter, John Hughes, wanted to direct the film as well. Producer Michelle Manning mentioned the screenplay while in a job interview with filmmaker Ted Tannen. Tannen liked giving first-time directors a chance and was interested in the idea. Manning contacted Hughes, and they were able to strike a deal for 16 Candles. Cool. So she was in her job interview, and she suggested this and she, she job interview apparently wasn't going very well and oh, no. he asked her, "Is there any movies that you, that you've heard about that you yeah. think we'd be interested in?" And she said, "Oh, yeah, I heard about this script from the guy who wrote Mr. Mom about uh it's a, it's a teen comedy, and he said, "Oh, get him on the phone." She didn't even know if she was hired yet he she, he just
1: told she's her to do like, that
0: wow she's
1: Shoot, like, man oh, okay,
0: that's amazing <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah." One person's life changed already. (laughs) (laughs) When the
2: agency ICM first agreed to represent John Hughes, they gave him a batch of headshots for potential actors in his films. Hughes fixated on one photo in particular and placed the photo over his workspace as he wrote 16 Candles. The photo was of Molly Ringwald, and in John's mind, she had already been cast in the leading role. He literally wrote it for her. Wow. Wow. Hughes also decided that Anthony Michael Hall, who had appeared in Vacation, should play the film's famous geek character. Ah, Sixteen Candles relies heavily on high school tropes like the jock, the geek, the prom queen, and the wallflower, but it unexpectedly turned the unspoken rule of the teen comedy on its head. Audiences were shocked and delighted when the quiet girl got the surprisingly sensitive jock at the end instead of learning some kind of hard lesson. One of the film's biggest surprises was Samantha's Molly Ringwald touching conversation with her father and the empathy that he shows his teenage daughter.
0: Well, I don't think I'll be able to sleep if I don't feel this little talk has helped you. So would you be a sport and lie to me?
3: (laughs) Yeah, sure, Daddy.
0: It is interesting Mm -hmm. that at the time, a change like that it's yeah. like wow, how cool! Mm-hmm. You know, it really makes this movie stand out. But now we're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, a parent and
1: their kid should have a good conversation like that. Maybe yeah. you know. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, that. But I oh, mean, oh, you mean oh? I'm talking about her ending up with a jock at the jock. Oh, end. I see. Yeah, but I, you, yeah. But you're absolutely right.
2: <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because at the time it was more common to have. The shy, weird girl, and be like, it's okay that the jock's not into you. Right. Mm-hmm. But
0: this other guy was yeah. here the whole time. See,
2: that's the problem. <laughs> yes. The problem yeah. was always that, oh, I know you really like this other guy, but this guy has paid attention to you. And
3: therefore, yeah.
2: you should end up with him. Also, the conversation with her dad is kind of a special thing in this movie. Yeah. yeah. This was Hughes' breakout as a director and started his meteoric rise as the king of teen comedy. Of course, there are components in the film that do not pass the test of time. Featured prominently as a foreign exchange student that plays into hurtful stereotypes, it's also hard for modern audiences to brush aside the casual attitude toward date rape, which seems to be prominent throughout the film.
1: Yeah.
3: Oops.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You
1: know, 80s. <laughs>
2: hmm <laughs> I, I recognize there are really redeeming qualities to this movie, but yeah. I have a very hard time, and I always have. Mm-hmm. I've had a, just a very hard time with the end, and it just really bothers me, because the movie ends with the jock really just passing off his girl, his drunk girlfriend to Anthony Michael Hall's character. Hey, oh, she's your problem like, I'm, now. I'm yeah. done with her. Re- yeah. Here you go. <laughs> it, it's, and I, I just I can't... Uh. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And they, you know just the whole the whole thing just really is not like it doesn't feel good to me. It makes me feel mm-hmm. awful. Also, we're going to link to an NPR interview with Jed Watanabe in this movie. He played the foreign exchange student. Yeah. And uh I really I want to link to it because it's a really good interview and he talks about yeah. The problem. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> the oh, problem my. and his experience yes. of it.
2: He, what he experienced after he was in this role, mm-hmm. why he did the role, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. is really interesting.
1: All right. Well, moving on from that, we got a really big one here. We got The Breakfast Club from yeah. 1985. Let's skip
2: it. No one likes that Yeah, movie.
1: I mean, pfft, whatever. Don't you.
2: Let's forget about it.
1: Forget <laughs> about it. <me. laughs> All right, so for The Breakfast Club, he actually directed and wrote it, which is pretty cool, of course. And true to his style, he filmed this as well in a small town high school, or multiple, really. And it, it was in Illinois that he did this. So, you Yay. know, small area, Midwest. Yeah, so it's typical. not, it's not yeah.
0: just the fake Illinois. It's fake. Yeah. real this time. <laughs> yeah, and it
1: takes place in Illinois. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this forced the cast to become closer as there were not many entertainment options in town. <laughs> the most common things that they would do were go to Hughes' home for dinner <laughs> or go see a blues band together with That's him.
2: That's cute. So, yeah. Wow. I bet They're John horrible. Hughes loved that. Yeah. He's like, let's all just chill. Let's chill, we're just gonna chill hang and out.
0: hang They're all like, where's the nearest bar? And he's, he's like, like <laughs> what? <laughs> no. no, you're 16. Yeah, like,
1: ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> judd nelson would stay in character as bender even after scenes were shot this almost cost him the role as hughes noticed that he would continue to treat molly ringwald terribly Mm -mm. oh wow yeah hughes felt responsible for her and therefore wanted michelle manning to fire him It was worked out, however, when Manning discussed the issue with his manager-slash-live-in girlfriend, (laughs) Lori Rodkin. What? After that, it was never an issue again.
0: That's pretty weird.
1: Yeah. Judd Nelson's girlfriend was like, "Mm, hmm, better get your act together. Yeah, you're going to get fired, dude, (laughs) (laughs) from this
2: probably iconic movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Don't do that to Molly Ringwald. Yeah.
0: I get the idea of wanting to stay in character so that you don't have to like re yeah. get yeah. into it every time, but like, fucking, yeah. Don't be a dick about
1: it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tone it back just a, just a smidge. In order for Judd Nelson and Emilio Estevez to understand the divisions between Jocks and the Outcasts, Hughes sent them back to high school. Nobody seemed to recognize Judd, but unfortunately for the experiment, Emilio was recognized almost immediately.
2: Yeah, he had just been in The Outsiders.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so everybody he was recognized big. <laughs> him.
2: Yeah. But yeah, Judd Nelson said that when he was in there, he just he had no idea of the divisions, the true divisions between the yeah. people who were freaks and the people who were jocks. Mm-hmm. and the, you know, He said there was a freak hallway and a jock hallway, and you just did not. Nobody co-mingled.
1: I feel like our experience was like a low key version. So of that. low like, key. There was, like, yeah. there were some clicks and some things, yeah. but like yeah. you were never afraid to just walk right. down a particular yeah. hallway.
0: If you looked for it, it was there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it wasn't super obvious, and there were no no go zones.
1: Right. Or yeah. Fun times. As the set was being built, the cast began getting ready for rehearsals. John had a few different drafts of the script. After Emilio asked to see them, John brought all of them in for the cast to look through. Each actor read through them and picked out the pieces from each script that they felt connected with their characters. Hughes then spent that night cutting and pasting those pieces together and presented a new script the very next morning. Nice. Dude, yeah.
0: this man doesn't sleep.
1: <laughs> no. I think we've I mean, established can't. that. No. Yeah. I stay awake with smoking and coffee and yeah. I, I was gonna say <laughs> and I and could really use some of that, but really I'm not gonna music, smoke. Yes. So. <laughs> the film was actually shot in continuity, and the principal was based on a real gym teacher of Hughes's that did not like his attitude.
2: Yeah, nice. It's a gym teacher that flunked him. <laughs> <Oof>.
0: Oh, <laughs> gross. And
2: yeah, he really based him off of Dude. a real person.
0: <laughs> I hope that gym teacher kind of. Recognized that it was him
1: <laughs> i hope so amazing like yeah, yeah. you've been
0: immortalized in this movie
1: <laughs> this film is what brought about the term brat pack the term refers to teens that often appeared in multiple movies together in the 80s for example hughes knew after 16 candles that he wanted anthony michael hall and molly ringwald to be in this movie as well the ensemble group of talented kids did not take kindly to the term, and even stopped hanging out all the time because of it. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah.
2: But yeah, The Breakfast Club. That's seriously a very oh, iconic movie. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So classic. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, also, and I know that, like, people still have some issues with this one. Mm-hmm. He kind of harasses her throughout the movie, and then they end up together at the end, which I think is confusing. Yeah, it is. It doesn't.
1: <laughs> it doesn't always sit well. Yeah, but, but... I,
2: it is a great movie. It's really interesting, and mm-hmm. I, I love you know the scenes when they're just kind of talking in a circle, and they have these yeah. wonderful introspective moments. And it's yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. When you grow up,
1: your heart dies.
3: Who cares?
1: I care. I read a lot of things where it was like this movie probably wouldn't be made today because mm-hmm. there's not really actually too much of a plot. It's no. honestly the the characters just talking about their issues, their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this one of course is one that gets made in, in TV shows, you know, oh, like every time like they always yeah. parodied. Yeah. There's there's usually some kind of episode that truly just does this, yeah, <laughs> yeah, does the dancing and yeah, the scene all of them of
0: running it. through the hallways? Oh, all yeah. that stuff. The next one here, just gonna mention is Weird Science, which is also 1985. Weird, science. Weird. Weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is the movie where the kids build the woman. You guys yeah. yeah. Yeah it is. And yes. it briefly has Robert Downey Jr. It in it. It right? sure does have Robert Downey <laughs> Just Jr. in it. That,
0: which right? means you've seen it. Probably. Yeah, I,
2: I've seen it. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's not too bad. It's, no. Yeah. It's odd though. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. As the movie as the title suggests. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Right on. Yeah. <laughs> he uh he directed and wrote that one also, which is pretty neat. And of course, the next one we have here is another big dog one. Ferris Bueller's Day Off from nineteen eighty-six.
2: I've never heard of that. Yeah. Is that is it Ferris
0: Bueller's Day look, Off? <laughs> we talked about it already. <laughs> he also directed and wrote this one. So he's like he's on yeah. fire right now. Oh
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> the screenplay was written in just seven days, though Hughes claimed he did it in four.
2: <laughs> the number changed a lot, they said. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hughes was famous for writing his stories in short manic bursts. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it sounds like you've got a paper due at yeah. midnight. Like and yes, and it's time. It
2: done. And he started <laughs> writing this while doing the rewrites for Pretty in Pink.
0: The name Ferris Bueller came from Hughes' long-term friend Burt Bueller, and the character Sloane was based on his wife.
2: Yeah, Aww. she. I wouldn't say it was like a direct adaptation of mm-hmm. his wife, but. She, She was the inspiration for that character. Being the woman that he met in high school and married. Yes.
0: To help immerse the actors, Hughes drove them around the Chicago town, showing them the sights and talking about his life as a high schooler. As he did this, he put cassettes into the player with the songs that he intended to run throughout the movie. Nice. That is cool. When Broderick first met with Hughes, Pretty in Pink was going to be released soon. As the pair walked and talked, Hughes plastered Pretty and Pink stickers on every lamppost. He was brilliant at advertising. Hughes would pen a newsletter, and it would be mailed out to many fans, of which he had a database from all the fan mail Hughes Entertainment received.
1: Aww. Yeah, isn't that cute? That's cool. That is yeah. pretty cool. I mean, it's no wonder that he was brilliant at advertising. He worked for an advertising yeah. place. Like.
2: <laughs> so the next movie we'll talk about is Pretty in Pink from 1986, came out the same year as Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Actually, a little bit earlier, I think, right? Yeah,
1: it did, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, oh, man.
2: So John Hughes wrote and directed this film. He continued his reign as the teen comedy king with Pretty in Pink, another classic starring Molly Ringwald. It was named after a 1981 Psychedelic Fur song that Hughes liked, and even included in the film. In fact, Hughes selected about 90% of the film's soundtrack. Sweet. Yeah. This movie continued to explore the difficulties of living in a working-class family, surrounded by upper-class peers. It also featured one of Hughes' most iconic 80s characters, Ducky, played by John Cryer. Ducky! Ducky. I, Ducky, I loved <laughs> Ducky. When I watched this movie in high school, <laughs> yes. I, was, I liked the way he dressed, mm-hmm. he was a great friend, Yep, I was a very big fan of Ducky. Mm-hmm. Ducky was a classic Hughes geek, a guy that has everything going for him but doesn't know it. According to John Cryer, Molly Ringwald was uncertain of him taking the role. She reportedly wanted Robert Downey Jr. to play the character.
1: I could totally see Robert Downey Jr. playing this character, too. Oh, he could
2: definitely do it. Yeah,
1: for sure. Oh, my gosh. Oh,
2: my gosh, though. But I I was a big fan of John Cryer. Mm -hmm. In the original ending, Ringwald's character, Andy, ends up with Ducky. But test audiences didn't like this ending. So the crew reshot the ending to have her character end up with Blaine, the rich boy played by dreamy Andrew McCarthy.
3: Ooh, Andrew <sighs> McCarthy. Yeah.
2: There were many challenges to the reshoot, including the fact that Andrew McCarthy had shaved his head and had to wear a wig. Yeah. yeah.
0: I wonder why they didn't like it.
2: <laughs> um, They apparently, they actually booed. Really? Apparently, yeah, the it was audience a strong, actually- strong,
1: violent reaction. What yeah, the they hell? said
2: they loved the movie all the mm-hmm. way up to the end when she ended up with Ducky and people booed. And they just said we we don't care about the politics. We wanted to get the cute guy.
3: Mm. Oh, that
0: is bull. I know, and it was
2: crazy. It was so weird because I didn't know about this when I first watched this movie. I was really upset that she didn't end up with Ducky. Mm. And I watched the special features, (laughs) and I found out that she was supposed to, and I was furious. I was like, "What a stupid audience!
1: You're serious? You see?" That you get their hopes up with sixteen candles, yeah. And you just, you and can't. then you just can't
2: change it after that. <laughs> nope. But the the thing about this movie was that I I actually understand if she's not interested in Ducky, mm-hmm. then then she shouldn't be with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plain and simple. You know? Yeah. I just didn't like that she ended up with the rich guy because yeah. he like wasn't good to her. Yeah. And that was the thing that bothered me. Yeah. It, it mm-hmm. wasn't about like I like Ducky more necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was really just yeah. I felt like he wasn't super nice to her. Yeah. And that was what annoyed me.
0: That is crazy. I can't believe it was just because yeah. they didn't, they just wanted her to be with the yep. cuter guy. That's that's, that's
2: that's Yeah. The quote that I found. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They say that with each passing year, people are more and more baffled that she ends up with Blaine. But,
1: uh, you know, yeah. Yep. It's what the audiences then wanted. <laughs> yeah. Next we have Planes, Trains, and Automobiles from oh, nineteen eighty-seven. Boy. Have you ever seen Classic? this movie?
0: I have seen this one. <laughs>
1: yes. yes. Okay.
0: It <laughs> is a time.
2: It's a ride. Adam hates sure. movies where things go from bad to worse and yeah. worse and worse. And this one And is... this guy's is almost painful yeah. to watch. <laughs> because it really does go from bad to worse and just yep. constant. Like, just, oh my God.
1: Yep. He directed and wrote this one as well. Nice. And this movie has become the perfect model for future (laughs) buddy comedies. The two characters are forced together into situations where they must walk in each other's shoes.
2: It's very, the movie Tommy Boy, I feel Mm -hmm. is very reminiscent of this movie. Yes, I agree.
1: When Steve Martin read the screenplay and accepted the part, he noticed that it was a hefty 145 (laughs) pages. Whew. The typical for a comedy like this would be about 90. When Martin asked what would be cut, Hughes looked at him quizzically, and Martin realized that Hughes (laughs) did not plan to cut a thing. Oh my gosh. He's like, okay. Okay. All right. The movie, while only modestly successful at the time, became treasured by Hughes and many others. Roger Ebert even said in a tribute article that it is in his great movie collection.
3: Why are you holding
0: my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows.
2: There ended up being a three-hour... Like three and a half hour cut of this movie. Wow. That nobody really had but John Hughes. So oh there gosh. was a version that he didn't cut anything. Mm-hmm. But Chris Columbus, when he started working with John Hughes, which we'll talk about a little bit later, he said it was really frustrating because he would go to hang out with John Hughes and they'd have late night meetings. Mm-hmm. And John Hughes would be like, hey, let's watch my director's cut version of Plains, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> and they would watch a three hour version of oh, this movie.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I kind of want it.
2: I know. He was like, honestly, how lucky was I? I can't believe I was frustrated that I had to do that. Yeah,
0: I disagree.
1: <laughs>
0: I would not survive <laughs> a three-hour version of this.
1: You just keep shrinking in your seat yeah, more and I, more and more.
0: Please let me know if anyone out there listening agrees with me on these kind of scenarios where I don't find this very funny. <laughs> yeah don't get me wrong. This is a funny movie. There are yeah. funny parts, but I don't find the bad to worse thing funny. I find it very, very frustrating mm-hmm. very frustrating and very awkward at times. yeah, and it I can't. My
2: mom shared that sentiment. she was exactly the same. She could not watch a movie where things just got worse. And and there are a lot of Laurel and Hardys that happen that way. Mm -hmm. She had a hard Mm -hmm. time watching. Mm -hmm. It's the The, cringe that you just get.
0: Yes, cringy Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The next one, also just going to mention, Some Kind of Wonderful from 1987. This one he is just the writer for.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Some Kind of Wonderful. (laughs) So this is one where, yeah, this is one where it's a little... It's kind of like Pretty in Pink, but flipped. Yeah. We have a male protagonist mm-hmm. in the movie, and we have a female nerdy geek character. Uh-huh. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's weird. She's she's very counterculture, I would say. Yeah. Okay. She like, works in an
1: auto shop. Yes. Um.
2: A pixie haircut. Yeah. She plays the drums, and that's mm-hmm. essentially her entire personality. <laughs> she originally was called drummer girl in the script.
1: Oh wow! Just okay. without a name. Just without a name.
3: Yeah. Okay. Wow.
2: Yeah, but she has more to her personality, obviously. Yeah. But a big, the the like her obsession is her mm-hmm. is the drums, and so that is a big part of her character. And she's definitely subverts lots of stereotypes for yeah. a female love interest. She mm-hmm. does not fit the frame of a general lead female love interest for yeah. a nineteen eighties film. So it is very much like Pretty in Pink, but opposite. Except mm-hmm. in this one, uh, he ends up with her. He does not end up with the beautiful. There were
0: no test audiences that booed the screen. I, I,
2: I guess not.
0: To be yeah. with the prettier girl.
2: No, he ends up with the drummer girl. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, no, nice. this one's nice.
0: The next one here is another lovely one. A big one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. From 1989. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In 1988, John Hughes wrote and directed She's Having a Baby, a deeply personal film and probably his most autobiographical. However, the film didn't do very well, despite the star power of Kevin Bacon and Alec Baldwin. Dang.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: Some theorize that because this film didn't find the same success as his other projects, John began moving away from personal stories in films.
2: Yeah, this was—he's was starting to become less of a director here. I actually think he stopped being a director at this point, and really, he was kind of like a one-man studio, yeah. churning out <laughs> scripts like crazy, writing machine. And yeah, they said that they kind of lost that personal element a little bit after that.
3: Mm-hmm. In
0: 1989, two of Hughes' films premiered. They were Uncle Buck and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Both did fairly well at the box office, with Christmas Vacation eventually becoming a holiday staple in many American households. Critics felt the film lacked the magic of the original, as it had less of a cohesive plot and more of a string of hilarious holiday mishaps jumbled together in a film. This would be the final vacation film written by John Hughes, though two more would be made, One in nineteen ninety seven and all the way in two thousand fifteen.
2: Yes, wow. A lot of people like this movie. I think because it it's just now a holiday movie, right? Yeah, (laughs) that we all see around the holidays. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still funny. It's a funny movie. I mean, I I do enjoy it.
0: I always love the part where he's like he's like this is my christmas bonus you know it's for sure oh every you know here's the bonus he opens it up and it's just his face
3: it's bigger than you expected (laughs) smaller (laughs) what is it it's a one-year membership
0: in the jelly of the month club oh god Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. (laughs) Reading the thing. (laughs) It's just, it's good stuff.
2: Yes. I love Cousin Eddie. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. (laughs) The moment where he just, he's just out there with his wife and enjoying the the lights, and he just kind of looks, and he's like, oh, it's so nice to be out here with you and Eddie and
1: Eddie. Like, (laughs) I I just, oh, my God. It's perfect. Uh, I think what I love about this is that you know, family get-togethers are always difficult. No matter what, pretty pretty much always difficult. <laughs> yeah. And this kind of makes you feel better because you're like, man, mine isn't as bad as this. Yeah. So you know what? <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Or, it's it's right.
0: not just me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we have Home Alone from 1990. (laughs) After working with Macaulay Culkin in Uncle Buck, John Hughes thought it would be interesting to have a movie centered around a nine-year-old. He had thoroughly enjoyed working with Macaulay after never having worked with that age group before.
2: That's so nice. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's worked with teenagers, adults. Mm -hmm. time Time for a kid to have this one. Chris Columbus, who directed the film, expressed that he was afraid that nobody would give him another shot at directing after his recent flop, Heartbreak Hotel. John Hughes, however, had faith in him and liked his style. Chris was originally supposed to direct the previous Christmas movie we just talked about, but had difficulties with Chevy Chase.
2: Oh, don't they all?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Chevy refused to take direction from him because he saw Chris as too new to know anything about directing properly. Come on, man. man. Come on. Yep. Hughes therefore brought Chris on to direct Home Alone. Since Chris was also a writer, the script went back and forth between the two until they felt it was ready. It was then pitched to Warner Brothers, who said they would make it for the low budget of $10 million. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I'm just po-
0: yeah. I got some change in my pocket. Exactly.
1: Here, well, you know, at that time about 17 million was mm. was typical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when they inevitably surpassed that budget, though really not by much, to 14.7 million, Warner Brothers shut down the project. And we almost didn't have This Christmas Joy. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we Excuse almost didn't me? have Home Alone. Wow. Can you imagine that world? luckily though hughes was behind the project as its writer and had secretly met with his friend tom jacobson at 20th century fox when tom and chairman joe roth heard the storyline the 14.7 million dollar budget and that hughes was fighting with warner brothers they said they would make it (laughs) all they had to do was wait for warner brothers to officially pull the plug because legally they weren't really supposed to know about the project while another studio owned it. Wow. <laughs> Once the phone call came, those that knew about the Switch had to feign sadness and fear before calling up 20th Century Fox <laughs> to seamlessly continue the picture. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they actually said that the, the whole set and everything, everything was set up in the high school. OK. And so the different departments like, you know, the makeup and, and wardrobe were in one wing and, and all that. And so this guy from Warner Brothers was going around to each of these like classrooms, places and being mm-hmm. like, oh, you're cut. Get out of here. Blah, blah, blah. And so after that guy would leave that room, somebody else would come in and be like, hey, guys, nope, stay. Continue working. We now are at 20th Century Fox. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Dude. You still have a job.
0: (laughs) Imagine. Imagine being one of these Warner Brothers people, right, who knew about this. Yeah. And then when that movie came out and you saw everyone and everything the same, (laughs) just 20th Century Fox, what is their reaction?
2: <laughs> yeah, like, Exactly. how do you... exactly? Yeah, and also A- absolutely. What is their crazy. reaction when this is the biggest fucking movie yeah. of the year? <laughs> for like oh, an right. entire year? It literally pretty much. it was in the top ten at the box office from November to June yeah. of the next year. Yeah, yeah. and it <laughs> destroyed every movie that came. Oh, it. Yeah. Was so big. Yeah,
1: this movie was fucking huge. Mm-hmm. They had to have felt bad. Like, yeah, like absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't horrifying. up it to a fourteen and a half you million. You couldn't do a budget of fourteen. <laughs> you
2: and then made make so however much? much money it I was.
1: Oh man, I could
0: just, I could just imagine just gaping mouth, just like, I yeah. can't believe. <laughs> yeah, what has somebody happened. got fired? Oh, yeah. for sure.
2: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Chris Columbus said that John Hughes was a director's dream, essentially staying off-set except when John Candy arrived for his scenes. He was receptive to ideas and allowed Columbus to add his own touch to the story, giving it more heart to balance out the slapstick humor. All the sets for the insides of the house were built in the new Trier Township High School, including the scene where the house was flooding. The crew knew that the set would leak due to all the water, so they built it right into the school's empty swimming pool.
1: Smart.
0: That is a good solution. Wet bandits. Wet bandits.
2: Yep. Hughes' close friend and colleague, John Candy, made an extended cameo in the film, appearing on set for 23 hours of shooting. He appeared in the film as a favor to Hughes and was paid even less than the pizza delivery boy that appears in the early scenes of the film.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh. Some believe this was John Hughes' last greatest film. And in later years, he would move away from autobiographical works and films focused on Midwestern families. Home Alone 2 is great. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. A lot of people like that one. Yeah. But hey, I mean, go out with a bang. Yeah. Yeah. In a way.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Home yeah. Alone is huge. <laughs> so big. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we have a couple honorable mentions here, too. Baby's Day Out. From 1994, my father
2: loves yeah. that movie. <laughs> yeah, Baby's Day Out. It for is, sure, it, it is, is good. so cute. It's yeah. so good. It's a cute movie. Yeah. yeah. And
0: then we also have Beethoven, which is on every VHS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As and, a preview,
1: so many sequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And Flubber, which we mentioned at the beginning yes, of the episode. Flubber. Love Yay. Flubber. And, of course, 101 Dalmatians.
1: 101 yeah. Dalmatians. The good one with Glenn Close. Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Not
2: the bad one from the 60s. No. My God. No,
1: I'm just, <laughs> just or- me- meaning the live action. I know, one. I know, I know. But I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that terrible animated one. What the heck? What are they thinking? What was that?
0: <laughs> John Hughes was the epitome of a cult classic. He wasn't universally loved in Hollywood, and held grudges that, as Molly Ringwald would later put it, were almost supernatural things. (laughs) (laughs) But the man certainly had a following, and still does to this day. Despite connecting with and influencing generations, he didn't win very many awards, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is madness. Yeah. (laughs) In 2020, Hughes was posthumously included into the OFTA Hall of Fame. In 1991, he won the Showest Award for Producer of the Year. On a more negative note, Hughes won two stinkers bad movie awards, (laughs) which is unfortunate. One was Worst Resurrection of a TV Show for Dennis the Menace. And the other was worst screenplay for a film grossing more than hundred million
1: for Flubber.
2: Yeah, what? Whatever.
1: I like Flubber. I like Flubber too. I yeah. do. Too. I also
2: don't mind Dennis the Menace.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but
2: yeah, it's it's fine. In August of two thousand nine, John Hughes died suddenly of a heart attack while visiting family in New York. He was fifty nine. The news of his sudden death shocked and saddened his collaborators, including the young actors that started their careers with Hughes. Hughes had continued to write until his death, with the last credit being Drillbit Taylor. At the 82nd Oscars, Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy, Matthew Broderick, John Cryer, and Macaulay Culkin all paid tribute to John Hughes.
0: John created characters that were at once familiar, uh, almost Painfully ordinary, but at the same time, transcendent and iconic.
2: This included a montage of his most well-known films, ending with a classic moment from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you might miss it.
0: You look at how many movies he did, Mm -hmm. how many things he wrote. You know, we have no idea how many more he has or had that didn't go anywhere. Or that yeah. he never pitched. Some
2: mm-hmm. of them, some of them became other movies. Like, I mean, one of his scripts became Dumb and Dumber.
0: Yeah, ah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But just imagine, like, it's it's really sad because think about how many more movies he probably would have had. You mm-hmm. know, possibly could have been another great yeah. Home Alone, huge. Success. Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
2: I know Chris Columbus wanted to do more with him. Absolutely, and yeah. just
1: you know, didn't have the chance. No. Well. John Hughes was one of a kind. He didn't do things the normal way, the popular way. In reality, Hughes was the outsider that he put on screen. He was a man that never forgot how it felt to be a teenager, with all the anxieties of life, but none of the respect of adulthood. He talked to his actors, young and old, as if they were his collaborators and not his employees. And because of this, he created art that resonated with millions of people. Not only did John Hughes give voice to the younger generations in his movies, he helped to launch the careers of so many others around him. John Hughes was funny and strange, intelligent and to some frustrating. He made meaningful connections to audiences and his fellow filmmakers that would last a lifetime. In a foreword for Kurt Honeycutt's book, John Hughes, A Life in Film, Chris Columbus wrote, John's films have inspired a few generations and they will continue to do so for many, many more decades. His work has profoundly changed millions of lives. I know that he profoundly changed mine. Without John, I may not still be directing today. I owe everything that's happened in my cinematic life over the past 25 years to John Hughes.
2: Even very recently, I was talking to a teenager. And I asked, I was really curious. I said, what do you watch? What do you like to watch? What shows are cool? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said, actually, I like old movies. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, you do? She said, yeah, like The Breakfast Club. <laughs> oh, I, I thought that was really sweet. I that said, isn't. wow, okay, cool. You know, it's, <laughs> that's neat. She said, yeah, I watched it the other day. It was pretty good. Oh,
0: so, there's yeah. still hope yeah. for this world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're still being watched. Those yeah, they're still being watched that's... with teenagers, and they still like them. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I, it's got to be in that like top hundred to watch before you die yeah. kind of oh. list. At least, for sure. yeah. It's my cousin's favorite movie. Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe oh. one day we'll do a whole episode on it.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with that, I think that's a case closed. Woo! And so before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons, Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, J.D., Anthony, Shelly, Linda, Bob, Carlos, and Jaron, Yay. Do you recognize that name? It's our friend. Yeah.
0: Another J name. Yes.
1: We're so popular with the J name. Yeah, seriously. But people who don't have J names yeah. don't drop out of our page. Yeah, please. No we, no, we also like you. Yes. In fact, you know, people that have don't have J names, you can join. Come yeah. on. Yeah.
0: That's, yeah. <laughs> J actually stands for join. Join. join.
1: That's right. Ah, yes. <laughs> You can also now buy us a popcorn at buymeacoffee.com slash Case diary. <laughs> I know it's confusing. <laughs> buy us a popcorn and buy us coffee a coffee. Here, though. Yeah, we we just really don't. <laughs> Maybe mocha's I do, but
0: if, if it does confuse anyone out there, it's not really popcorn, it's more of a donation <laughs> yeah. website. Yeah. That's yeah. what it really exactly.
1: means. Exactly. We'll we just use
2: it. it to buy popcorn. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: right. <laughs>
1: And we just want to thank all of you that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating, or even reviewing. You can go to if you want. Apple and, and review us on there, or just mm. anywhere that you can review us, really.
0: I'm sure pretty much every podcast place has some form of reviews on it.
1: Yeah. yeah. This... So we'd appreciate Or just let that. us know how you think we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's bad. Yeah.
0: In which case, keep it to yourself.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And instead, just tell us what your favorite John Hughes movie is. Yeah. Yeah. There you go.
0: And why is it Home Alone?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. It's clearly our favorite. (laughs) They're
0: they're all very good. The ones we talked about are great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. See you later. Bye. 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 Don't you?
3: Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it.